Today, we'll have a chance to discuss a Civil War physician who instituted changes to save American lives that are continued to be used in Afghanistan and Iraq. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and this is ReachMD Book Club, and with me is Scott McGall, author of the book, Surgeon in Blue, Jonathan Letterman, the Civil War doctor who pioneered battlefield care. Mr. McGaw is a former journalist who for the last 25 years has been a director and helped establish the most visited Navy ship museum in the nation. Thank you, Scott, for joining us. Dr. Pickard, it's my pleasure. You know, I know that you're the director of the USS Midway Museum in San Diego, California. In fact, you told me just before we went on the air that you're actually talking to me from the third deck of that famous ship. Tell me, what caused you, with this background, to pursue a book on Jonathan Letterman? Well, you know, it, it's an interesting, and I'll keep it brief, story. Uh, when I got involved with USS Midway, the longest-serving carrier of the 20th century, no books had been written on Midway. Uh, I wrote the first and then three books on Midway, and in the course of that, I learned about some extraordinary corpsmen heroics on Midway. Uh, from there, it inspired me to write a book called Battlefield Angels about heroic medics and corpsmen and the contributions of military medicine from Valley Forge to Afghanistan. And in that book, two years ago, Johnson Letterman made a cameo appearance in the Civil War chapter. Uh, it was remarkable what he accomplished in only 10 months during four of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War. Uh, so I kind of put him in my back pocket. And uh, when I finished Battlefield Angels, I started on the Letterman biography. And here we are about two and a half years later. You know, in your book, you talk about his early medical career, which really was frontier medicine. He was out west. He dealt with uh, Indian uprisings and the kind of wounds that you might expect in that kind of battlefield. What was it about his previous background that led him to be so significant in changing battlefield medical care at Antietam, Fredericksburg, Chancellorsville, and Gettysburg? Well, you know, in many ways, his previous military outpost experience didn't prepare him very well at all. You know, for years, he was responsible for maybe 100 men in New Mexico or eastern Arizona, uh, disease, diet, the odd arrow wound once in a while. And then through a, a happenstance, really, he was assigned medical command of the 100,000-man Army of the Potomac uh, in, in 1862. Uh, but I think in some respects, being solely responsible for the, uh, from a holistic standpoint for the health and welfare of men, even if it was only 100, from diet to hygiene, uh, to disease prevention, to trauma care, if you will, I suppose prepared him in some sense, but no one was prepared for the, the degree of human carnage and the sheer size of the battles and the armies in, in, during the Civil War. With that kind of background, and then the exposure to this horrendous war, uh, which caused the most casualties of certainly any war that was on our continent uh, or involved the United States Army up to that time, what were the changes that he instituted that really didn't have much research behind them? Well, it was really he did apply just fundamental instincts and a worldview that no Army physician had done before. He immediately recognized that uh, a soldier who was going to survive his battlefield wounds had to be a healthy soldier. Uh, and uh, an Army ration of 16 ounces of salt pork and hardtack and alcohol was hardly a nutritious diet, uh, nor were the millions of lice uh, in uniforms uh, that were not changed regularly or, or sleeping in the mud for weeks at a time. So he fundamentally first took an approach of creating the opportunity for a healthy soldier 
long before he ever faced enemy fire. And then perhaps even more dramatically is once he was wounded, Letterman created the first organized, professionalized ambulance service. In the early battles of the war, uh, Dr. Pickard, literally hundreds of men laid on the battlefield wounded and starved to death and suffered from overexposure and, and dehydration. Uh, derelict soldiers and Army band members, untrained, were expected to go out and retrieve these men and bring them back to first aid stations. It was Dr. Letterman who literally created the first professional ambulance service, something that defines health care today. Were there any other things, such as getting to the man first? I know that you mentioned the ambulance service, but how about getting to the men even before the ambulance could pick them up? Yes, he was the first to really develop what ultimately became the Letterman system and was required by congressional law to be applied in all armies throughout the rest of the Civil War. And fundamentally, he recognized that time to immediate care, uh, what became known as the golden hour for several wars thereafter, was absolutely critical to a man's survival. Today on the battlefield, I talk with corpsmen who come back from the Middle East, and now they talk about the platinum 10 minutes. But it was really Jonathan Letterman who understand that he needed to create trained first aid men, uh, medics, primitive medics, if you will, to at least get out there, do some of the basic triage and, and that we take for granted today to give a soldier even a remote chance of surviving his wounds once he got back to the aid station and then the field hospital. You know, you used an interesting word, primitive medic, but I'd like to, since you said that, in your book you say that the doctors that were in the American Revolution were often better trained than the doctors who served in the Civil War some 70 years later. What prompted that kind of remark? Because in, in the Revolutionary War, there were a very few number of doctors really required, and in those days, most of them were trained in Europe, which at that time was well uh, far advanced uh, in terms of medical training than what was in the colonies uh, back in the, in the 1700s. Uh, so soldiers did benefit to some extent, although every soldier in the Revolutionary War had to carry a gunny sack that would be filled with leaves and would become his hospital bed if he did fall wounded. But by the time Letterman and the Civil War came around, again, no one was prepared for millions of men going to war at once, uh, calling up regiments from around the north or the south, but certainly the north, dozens and dozens of regiments, bringing a hometown doctor who might have been licensed, maybe not, might have been examined for competence, maybe not, coming with that regiment, intent on spending 60, 90, 120 days in war and getting back home, those were the men that the soldiers were fundamentally relying on, uh, at best small-town, non-military physicians uh, for their care. And it was up to Letterman to create a cohesive, professional military force or military medicine corps with those small-town physicians during the battles. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reach MD Book Club, and I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Scott McGaw, author of Surgeon in Blue, Jonathan Letterman, the Civil War doctor who pioneered battlefield care. There's so many things that Dr. Letterman recognized and instituted. It was almost intuitive. I'm struck by the fact that in your book, he became aware of the fact that wounds did better in open air. This is before really... People who went to med school heard about Lister, Pastor, Coke. It's really remarkable that he thought about this. It really is. Uh, one of the 
benefits of the Civil War from a military medicine standpoint is it was the first war, at least on the Union side, where fairly detailed and even meticulous uh, medical records were kept. The War of the Rebellion uh, that was published 10 volumes worth 10 years later, even today stands as a landmark treasure trove of, of uh, battlefield injury and treatment. And while they certainly didn't have the scientific basis that you mentioned that came just after the Civil War, really, observations were taken. Uh, Letterman required his physicians to uh, make written reports, often for the first time, and just through if happenstance, if you will, or, or field trials, clinical trials, uh, he was able to observe things like the better the ventilation, the less infection spread, the more likely a soldier might be able to uh, survive. And it was those observations that really became the foundation of, again, a lot of the civilian medical uh, care that we take for granted today. I'd just like to digress for a minute. And uh, Recently in, in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, they reported on figures from, from Balad, Iraq, being so excellent on our care of our soldiers injured there, and they talked about multiple teams operating on the same patient at the same time. They also talked about multiple patients being operated on in the same operating room. And although you don't touch on this, there are well-known pictures in Letterman's hospitals that he used that showed teams operating on the same person, somebody doing orthopedic work while doing uh, a craniotomy or in an open tent, multiple beds where there's surgery going on at the same time. Uh, it's remarkable that we are now paying a great deal of respect to this new advancement, and yet it existed in the Civil War in well-known photographs. You're absolutely right. It was intuitive. Uh, it really was, I think, uh, the result of Letterman recognizing the need that only the best surgeons do the operating and that other surgeons or physicians who may not be as well qualified would be assigned record-keeping duties. He created a specialized surgeon force, if you will, or, or physician force within the Army of the Potomac. So only the best surgeons by the time Gettysburg came around were uh, conducting the, the surgeries and the operations that you're talking about now that you just mentioned to, uh, taking that more professionalized based on merit approach was really revolutionary in its day and really set military medicine on a path to where, as recently as World War II, 30% of soldiers succumbed to their wounds. Today, in the Middle East, it's, it's now right at about 10% to the extent that today, really, disability has become the, the signature image of war far more than death. Letterman literally, in three days at Gettysburg, faced more wounded men than all the wounded we have suffered in Afghanistan in the last 12 years. Letterman, I also understand, was active in developing a program of evacuation. We've talked about the field hospital, the ambulance, but the third tier in his system, would you please comment on evacuation to better hospitals and also even the new concept of the specialized hospital? recognized that there was a real missing link early in the war between very primitive first aid hospitals or first aid stations, if you will, a collection of tents in a cornfield or a, an abandoned barn, and the larger rehabilitation hospitals back in Washington and other cities. So he was the first one to really institutionalize and systematize the field hospital, that critical missing link in a tiered level or a tiered approach of trauma care, so that now a soldier would, would fall wounded. 
He'd be taken to a first aid station. Uh, he was then taken by trained stretcher bearers or ambulance crew to a collecting station, from there to a field hospital where he recovered from his wounds much closer to the front than in the past. And then when ready and appropriate, there was a system of rail and, and ships to take him to rehabilitation hospitals or specialized hospitals such as brain injury uh, and that sort of thing that they were beginning to experiment with. So while Letterman was critical in getting men off the field who were wounded, he also organized again in less than a year that tiered approach all the way to the rehabilitation or convalescent hospital perhaps hundreds of miles away from the battlefield. What you've described as the Letterman system really, though, doesn't become entrenched because we see, even in the Spanish-American War, that we have to reinvent the wheel that Letterman had already created. What was the problem with the government accepting what Letterman had developed? Well, it's one of the sad commentaries, I suppose, or aspects is that oftentimes the lessons of one war are forgotten if it's been a generation or two before the next major conflict. Uh, that was certainly the case in the Spanish-American War. World War II was an entirely different war of stagnation in trenches. Some of the Letterman principles had to be relearned the hard way again there. Uh, for example, officers were again stealing uh, vehicles intended as ambulances for other uses, something that Letterman was able to uh, prohibit during the Civil War. So unfortunately, oftentimes we do lose some of the lessons through the generations from one conflict to another. The other thing that often happens is each war is exponentially more lethal in terms of the weaponry and the kinds of injuries and the complication factor of some of the injuries. So oftentimes there are many lessons to be learned or relearned from one war to the next. You know, you mentioned lessons. After every war or every great military discovery, the civilian life benefits, usually. Did the civilian life at the close of the Civil War benefit from the things that Letterman had developed? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the Civil War was the very first uh, widespread use of anesthesia. It was a relatively experimental uh, notion. Uh, early in the war, uh, you know, 50, 60, 80,000 amputations or surgeries later, it was a, a widely accepted principle. Uh, the very rudimentary beginning of uh, facial surgery, reconstructive surgery, plastic surgery, began in, in the Civil War through the development of specialized hospitals. And in fact, it's that kind of legacy from war, perhaps the only real positive one from war, has happened throughout our history. You know, x-rays were really validated in World War One. Penicillin, plasma, transfusions in World War II, life flights in Korea, uh, vascular surgery, grafting in, in Vietnam. Uh, so it, it really, starting with Letterman and his colleagues in the Civil War, uh, many of the cornerstones of civilian care today, both trauma as well as disease care, uh, have their roots, their beginnings in military medicine where either concepts were pioneered or early concepts were validated. As I read your book, I thought about the unique situation and certainly one that I was not exposed to during World War II when I was a little kid, and that was actually seeing what was happening to our, to our soldiers. I mean, even in World War II, the news media very often did not cover vividly the kind of battlefield injuries that we were later to see, of course, in Korea and Vietnam. But during the Civil War, citizens could walk by, stay on hills, look down, and watch the carnage. Politically, it must have had tremendous impact on trying to bring the war to a close. Yeah, that is an extremely insightful question. You're absolutely right. Uh, one of the few times we can document Letterman ever becoming angry in his writing was when families 
would literally uh, traipse across the battlefield after a battle looking for their sons to take them home and care for them themselves. Letterman lamenting that in a poorly ventilated home, their son having a far less chance of survival than in a well-ventilated barn, uh, even. And, and because, especially the Army of the Potomac, was fighting between Richmond, the Confederate capital, and Washington, uh, the Union capital, it was a very high-profile army. President Lincoln made many, many visits to the Army of the Potomac and visited with Letterman, literally within a day's ride of the capital. So in Letterman's case in particular, by being assigned to the Army of the Potomac, perhaps the highest-profile army within the Union Army, political pressures, public pressures, uh, reporters, all played a role that um, I'm sure on, on many occasions uh, Letterman could have done without. As I read your book also, I couldn't help but think about that our country continues to take great pride in providing the best medical care for armed forces that protect our shores. But you know, as time changes, I can't help but think that the Letterman system may come into use even within our own country, that now the possibility of mass civilian casualties in our own cities and states has real meaning to us. I wonder, in closing, would you have some comment to make about that? Well, you know, I think, again, you're right on point. Uh, many of the principles of the Letterman system of marrying command and control on the military side or in a disaster side uh, with the medical side are, are, are principles of integration uh, that Letterman forged that today are still taught by the National Civil War Medicine Museum to uh, the armed forces, officers in the armed forces. Many of his uh, key approaches to integration of communications, coordination, time to care are still as viable today, if not more so, uh, than they were in the Civil War. And as you say, that certainly is the case, whether it's on a remote battlefield uh, in Afghanistan or if it's uh, in Boston or somewhere here in the United States. It is, I think, a a sad commentary on the state of affairs today, uh, but I think our military medicine people and our disaster people and certainly our military are far better prepared for mass casualties than they were before uh, Letterman and others came along. I really enjoyed reading your book and I really thank you for spending the time with us today. It's been my pleasure Dr. Picard. I hope we can do it again soon. This is Dr. Maurice Pickard and if you've missed any of this discussion please visit reachmd.com to download the podcast and many others in this series. Thank you for listening.